environment in the indian context india has witnessed a rapid economic growth in the past decades raising people's standards of living but this growth has come at a terrible price today the country's air is polluted like never before india at a 2010 world health organization who report air pollution kills nearly 0.8 million people annually in southeast asia India alone accounts for more than 75% of the casualties. A June 2015 report by the Indian Space Research Organization shows that over 50% of the country's land is under desertification leading to low uh, low land productivity. Thus India faces the tough challenge of striking a balance between economic well-being and ecological sustainability. This challenge assumes more importance because India is a biomass based economy close to 65% of the country's population is dependent on a natural resource based livelihood such as agriculture fisheries and forestry agriculture employs some 234 million people through 100 million farm holdings forest contribute 40% of the country's energy needs of which more than 80% is utilized in the rural areas they also support 30% of fodder needs this is crucial given that the economy of livestock is bigger than that of the food grains tribal communities living in or near forest derive about 30% of their diet from forest sources as per estimates 270 to 300 million cubic meters of fuel wood 250 to 300 million tons of grass and green fodder over 12 million cubic meters of timber are harvested from indian forest annually similarly the indian coast the densest coastal region in the world has a large percentage of population dependent on fisheries for for sustenance given that close to 93% of india's employment comes from informal sectors that include most of the resource based livelihoods environmental degradation has a huge impact on the country's economy the situation will only exacerbate with growing population india which makes up 2.4% of the world's land already supports 60% 16% of the global population Every million hectare of the country supports 7.27 million people shows the national sample survey 2011 to meet the growing demands we have to optimize the use of natural resources available in a way that the country's ecosystem continue to yield high productivity in a sustainable manner natural resources are being exploited at an ever increasing rate the total weight of all the materials extra- extracted around the world is around 60 billion tons and this equals to around 25 kg each per day for each person on the planet the population of india is growing at 1.93% per annum taking into account the total land resources including hills lakes and rivers the availability of land per head in india comes to only 0.58 hectares The economy of India is the sixth largest in the world when measured by gross domestic product GDP but this economic growth is not resulting in employment jobless growth in is the country's biggest challenge towards a green va- village the biomass based economy india lives in its villages and the country's biomass base holds the key to make villages sustainable 
An ecosystem is a dynamic complex of biotic components like plants, animals and microorganisms and abiotic components like soil, air and water, all interacting as a functional unit. Thus, a village can be considered as an ecosystem taking into account its distinctive structure and function. A village ecosystem typically consists of agricultural lands, grasslands, forests and wetlands. Together they form an important resource base that supports diverse forms of life. Close to 70% of India's employment comes from the livelihood options provided by these natural resources. Agriculture alone contributes to 16% of India's GDP. Importance of ecosystem. If we were to accept the growth of biomass as a vital objective of India's planned economic program, then we also have to recognize the fact that India is a country with an extremely diverse ecosystem. Within the same country, we, we can move from the hot desert of Rajasthan to the cold desert of Ladakh, from areas with very low rainfall to areas with extremely high rainfall in the northeast and Kerala and from the sub-temperature high mountains of the Himalayas to the tropical high mountains of the Nilgiris and plains in Tamil Nadu. Between all these systems are numerous plateaus, hill ranges, riverine deltas, unique wetlands like the Sundarbans and massive alluvial Indo-Gangetic plains whose productivity is probably unmatched in the world. The same kind of biomass cannot be grown in all the ecosystems on a sustainable basis. So, to maintain a high biomass productivity, efforts must be made to understand the social and ecological dynamics of the ecosystems and develop biomass production dynamics of these ecosystems. High productivity on a sustainable basis is possible only by observing the laws of nature, not by contravening them. Ecosystem and the Economy The land mass within any ecosystem can be divided into three basic functional components cropplands, grazing lands and forest, and tree lands. A balance between these is crucial for ecologically sound land use within an ecosystem. This can be understood by looking at any of the three terrestrial, terrestrial ecosystems of the country, the Indo-Gangetic Plains, the Thar Desert and the Himalayas. A major component of land use in the Indo-Gangetic Plains can be croplands with grazing playing a minor and supporting role. In the Himalayas, the major component of land use will have to be forest lands with grazing the croplands playing a minor role. The occupational structure also reflects the land use in a specific ecosystem. For instance, people can follow agriculture as their main occupation in the Indo-Gangetic Plains, but in the Thar Desert, they will have to adopt a mixed enterprise in which farming is strongly backed by animal husbandry. In the Himalayas, farming will have to go together with forest and tree-based occupations. Since India is a biomass-based economy, its ecology or its ecosystem dictates the local economy and livelihoods of people. Indian villages are highly integrated. Agro-silvo-pastoral The complex Indian village ecosystem an Indian village is a complex land livestock vegetation system in which the land subsystem, the water subsystem, the livestock subsystem and the energy subsystem all interact with each other. 
The village ecosystem has evolved in such a way that it brings about an holistic enrichment of the entire ecosystem without destroying the synergy between the various sub-ecosystems. Systems are a combination of ecological systems based on agriculture, grazing and trees. Each village has its own croplands, grazing lands and forests and tree lands. Each of these components interacts with each other and thus the entire ecosystem is held in a fine ecological balance. Trees provide fuel wood and help the farmer avoid the burning of cow dung and maintain the productivity of their cropland where the dung can be used as manure. Currently 75% of rural households continue to use biomass and dung to cook. Grass is generally available from grasslands during the monsoon. With the onset of dry months, the grass availability decreases. The crop residues obtained from croplands and leaf fodder obtained from trees help animals tide over the scarcity period. What happens when an ecosystem is dis distributed? This finely tuned system can be easily split apart. If too many trees were cut for commercial purposes or growing population pressures were to force local people to expand their croplands, the area of the adjoining forest and grazing lands would be reduced. There would be a shortage of firewood and people would be forced to burn cow dung as fuel, leaving little manure for their croplands. In the long run, this will lower the productivity of their croplands. As resources decline, animals will starve and cow dung production will be affected. Overall, biomass production in the village ecosystem will steadily go down. The village ecosystem will increasingly be susceptible to the vagaries of weather such as extreme rain events and will soon take on the shape of a pseudo-desert. According to the desertification and land degradation, Atlas of India, 29.32% of the country's total geographic area or 96.40 million has undergone land degradation during 2011-2013. Around 23.95% and 23.64% of, de of desertification land degradation is contributed by Rajasthan, Maharashtra, Gujarat, Jammu and Kashmir, Karnataka, Jharkhand, Odessa, Maharashtra, Madhya Pradesh and Telangana. Indian farmers have always understood these interrelationships, so it is not surprising to find that they are not just practitioners of agriculture but a mix of agriculture, animal care and salviculture. This requires them to increase the productivity of all the components of the village ecosystem, grazing lands, forest lands, crop lands, water system and animals. There is also an increased focus on the government on integrated development of rural areas through the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, Manrega, which legally mandates village planning based on local natural resources. A village of Lakhpatis a water-scarce village adopts simple methods to increase the income of farmers by 700%. In the drought-prone Marathwada, a region of Maharashtra, residents of Kadwanchi village in Jalana district are least worried about the drought or the next monsoon. In fact, they have not been bothered by any drought in 20 years. 
including the drought of 2012, the worst in 40 years, rather as one enters into a conversion session with residents. The discussion is about agricultural expansion and not without reason. In the past 20 years, the income of its residents has gone up by 700%. The village has seen a sharp decline in drought vulnerability since 1996. When the Kadwanchi watershed project was launched, at that time 100% farmers in the village would report crop failure during a drought. The project launched under the National Watershed Development Program was implemented in the village between 1996-1997 and 2001-2002 with a financial outlay of Rs 1.2 crore. We did not think much of the work the officials were doing. They constructed bunts and trenches and planted trees on a patch of forest land in the village to showcase how effective these methods were in fighting drought. These steps slowed the flow of running water, increased seepage and recharged groundwater. They had an impact on the nearby areas as well. Within two years, the wells in surrounding areas started recharging and the soil gained moisture. This compelled us to understand the techniques, says Vishnu Bapurao, a farmer who earns more than Rs 10 lakh a year. The project helped increase the total cultivated area in the village from 1366 hectare in 1976 the ponds store rainwater and provide water throughout the year. The village had 357 ponds in 2015. For grape cultivation, the pond construction, the farmers received training by the Krishi Vigyan Kendra KVK of Jalana, which also oversaw the implementation of the project. Grape farming phenomenally raised the income of the farmers, according to a 2012 survey by the Central Research Institute of Dryland Agriculture. The average annual income of farmers in Kadwanchi increased from Rs 40,000 in 1996 to 3.21 lakhs in 2012, a 700% rise. As per the data by the National Sample Survey Office NSSO, in December 2014, the nationwide average annual income of farmers is around Rs 72,000. Farmers in Kadwanchi earned four times the national average. Case Study 2 The Domino Effect The story of a drought-ravaged village that adopted a simple, sustainable practice to change its fortune. In the Bundelkhand region of Uttar Pradesh and Madhya Pradesh, a, village, a few villages are overcoming consistent drought by innovating. In 2010, Haldin Patel, a 36-year-old marginal farmer from Majhout village in Chota Nagpur, in Chhatarpur district of Madhya Pradesh was struggling to feed his family of five with an income of around Rs 10,000 a year. He had to do odd jobs in Delhi and Jammu to lease out part of his fields to tenants and share croppers. On his one hectare, he used to spend more than half of the cost of inputs on chemical fertilizers. Things changed when farmers were trained to make organic fertilizers using cow urine, neem leaves, water and gram flour. 
in March 2011 an advocacy group Harith Prayas funded by Ch- Karitas a Rome based non-profit that works on livelihood issues started training small and marginal farmers in making the organic fertilizer I was the only person who dared to prepare my own fertilizer in a village of 250 households after the training says Patel Though social pressure made him throw the fertilizers in a corner of his field a little after a month everybody saw the results not only did the ginger sapling mature before its time it was much better in quality today the cost of production for patel has reduced to less than rupees 5000 and his income has increased to more than 30000 rupees after integrating livestock with agriculture following patel's example many small farmers in majhaud opted for organic farming and saw an increase in their income the effect was also seen in adjoining villages In a tribal village 13 kilometers from Majhot agriculture had become a loss making venture farmers had to work as laborers in chasi and nearby towns till 2013 the village wore a deserted look patel decided to travel with the karitas team and convince the farmers about the benefits of organic farming many people like mohan manji stopped migrating since they started organic farming in Karo India village in Chhatarpur district everybody now rare cattle and prepare their own fertilizers says 42 year old Manchi who owns 2 hectare of land the initiative has been catching up in village panchayats like Basaur Salon Kawar Salia Dongaria Amronia Lahar Maj Gonkota Tapara and Dharampara of Chhatarpur district What lessons we learned after just reading this was the expensive and environment polluting chemical fertilizers can easily be replaced by self-made organic fertilizers Organic fertilizers is easy to make and inexpensive Organic farming requires less inputs and thus benefits marginal and small farmers it has the potential to prevent their migration to cities We know that the poor are the worst affected by environmental degradation. They live in poverty, have the highest exposure to pollution, drink contaminated water, breathe polluted air, and depend on depleting forest resources for survival. Research over the years has made it clear that the poor through their intensive use of natural resources are not responsible for environmental degradation. It is the extensive use of resources on a commercial scale involving highly energy intensive and extractive industrial methods by the rich that is primarily responsible for degradation. In the 1970s and 80s it was widely said that the other energy crisis is firewood for cooking as supply was short and women had to spend hours walking to collect this basic need. It was also said that this use of energy by the very poor would destroy forests. In 1973, after the first oil shock, the Indian government set up the Fuel Policy Committee, which noted that the widespread use of non-commercial sources of energy had led to a large-scale denudation and destruction of forests. 
बट देर इज लिटिल एविडेंस ऑफ दैट अनिल अग्रवाल फाउंडर ऑफ द सेंटर फॉर साइंस एंड एनवायरमेंट वॉज ऑलवेज फैसिनेटेड बाई वुमेंस रिक्वायरमेंट्स फॉर कुकिंग एनर्जी इन द अर्ली नाइनटीन एटीज ही ऑर्गेनाइज द कंट्रीज फर्स्ट कॉन्फ्रेंस ऑन दिस इशू इन नाइनटीन एटी टू राइटिंग इन द फर्स्ट सिटीजन्स रिपोर्ट ऑन एनवायरमेंट ही वॉन्ट ऑफ एन इम्पेंडिंग फायर वुड क्राइसिस एज डिमांड वुड आउटस्ट्रिप सप्लाई ही ऑल्सो सेड देर वॉज लिटिल एविडेंस टू सजेस्ट दैट द एनर्जी गार्डनिंग फैमिलीज ऑफ इंडिया वर रिस्पॉन्सिबल फॉर डिफॉरेस्टेशन एज देन ऑल ट्रीज शुड हैव डिसअपियर्ड बाई नाउ द पुअर ओनली कलेक्टेड ट्विक्स एंड ब्रांचेस द बिगेस्ट threat to forest is because of commercialization of firewood growing use of in urban areas agarwal asked this question again in the late 1990s he found that his earlier assessment was confirmed by developments over the two decades by then there was no apparent firewood crisis even though all evidence suggests that biomass use for cooking continued across india He analyzed data from the National Council of Applied Economic Research which showed that the firewood demand in urban areas had dipped because of the switch over to commercial fuel like LPG and kerosene. Subsidies had made these two fuels cheaper than even firewood for urban areas. The NCAER survey published in 1995 the last such country wide assessment of cooking fuel consumption compared its data with the results of the previous survey done in 1978 to 1979 it found that in 1992 to 1993 the total household energy used in the rural india was 153.4 million tons of coal replacement coal replacement being the amount of coal that would be needed to replace 1 ton of firewood Of this 30% energy came from firewood twigs and another 32% from firewood logs. But this quality but this better quality log was not coming from forest. The survey found that between the two decades the percentage of households collecting firewood from forest and had halved instead firewood was coming from farms and other lands. On analyzing data from other studies Agarwal found that the other firewood crisis had been averted because people were using exotic invasive weeds like prosopis juliflora trees for tree plantation people were not dependent on forest for firewood and therefore large scale forest destruction had not happened The 2011 State of Forest Report published by the Forest Survey of India corroborates this the estimates that in 2010 the total fuel wood was used was 216 million tons of this only 60 million tons or 27% came from forest The rest came from private or wasteland. All this evidence points out that people have averted the ecological crisis through a rational response of community and individual action. But very little is studied or understood of what people have done and at what cost. 
Agarwal wrote in 1999. Since then, even fewer studies have been done on the firewood demand for household energy use. In India, Census 2011 shows that 75% of rural households continue to use biomass and dung to cook. As against 21% of urban India households in the last two decades between 1993, 1994 and 2009 and 2010, when urban India moved to LPG, rural India at 76% remained where it was cooking on highly inefficient and polluting chulha cook stove for poor women who collect sticks, twigs and leaves to cook meals. Sadly, the international community today is equating the survival emissions of the poor with the luxury emissions of those who drive to work and live in air-conditioned comfort. The 2010 Global Burden of Disease study established that indoor air pollution from cook stoves is a primary cause of disease and death in South Asia. The bulk of what is defined as renewable comes from biomass burning from the very stoves of poor families. The poorest therefore provide the world the perfect opportunity to leapfrog. They can move from using renewable energy currently polluting to other renewable energy sources that are healthy for them and for the world. We need cooking devices that can be sold, distributed need to find approaches that move the poorest to clean sources of cooking fuel. It is clear that the discourse on environment and development must be reframed so that it is built on the premise that sustainable growth and development is not possible if it is not equitable. Why will environment management not work if it does not address the poor? The involvement of local communities in environmental management is a prerequisite for sustainable development. It is also important that this environmentalism of the poor building bottom-up based on the principles of equity and human need must influence the world. But most importantly, we must re-articulate that the environmental change is not technocratic but political. We cannot neuter politics of excess justice and rights and still hope to fix environmental problems. Can you give example where solutions have not worked as the poor was not kept in mind? Consider air pollution in cities. Estimates show that only 50% of people living in Delhi commute by car. Can these cities combat air pollution given that more and more people will drive? It is possible. Is it possible to plan for the remaining 80 to 85 percent? Clearly, it is not possible. Our research has pointed out that unless we reinvent mobility at a scale not seen before, we cannot have clear air, clean air. A few years ago, in a landmark judgment, the Delhi High Court had ruled that roads need to be planned, taking into account equity of use. Those who use more should get more space. Today, the bulk of our city's population walks, cycles or takes a bus. It does so because it is poor. Therefore, unless the strategy to combat air pollution moves from fixing the tailpipe emissions of each car to planning for affordable 
and inclusive mobility we will not get clean air solutions must work for the poor for them to work for the rich field trip 1 the apatani valley the apatanis weave a unique economy around a fragile ecosystem surrounded by wooded hills in lower Subansiri district of Arunachal Pradesh is the small Apatani valley covering 26 square kilometers the apatani heartland can be assessed easily as there is a road leading right up to it jhum or burn and slash cultivation is predominant in this region but not in apatani valley embedded in hills that rise up to 2400 meters this oblong valley is home to arguably the most intensively managed wet rice cultivation in the world the apatanis have access to relatively small tracts of forest and hills stacked into a small area the community manages space by designing compact homesteads apatanis have a unique forest management system they demarcate their forest there are private bamboo forest private mixed forest clan forest common forest and sacred groves the private forest and the clan mixed forest are often dominated by the oak species castanopisus indica they also have the blue pine species pinus valichiana wood wood is the only source of fuel and energy here the forest land is limited and keeping the forest intact requires constant work the seedlings and saplings are tended and replanted at the first site of open space keeping the basic idea of silviculture in mind the saplings from the deeper forest are transplanted into private groves in the months of february or march Apatanis do not promote monoculture. The fruit-bearing species like cherry, peach, pear and a bitter-tasting subspecies of apple are also grown here. Little input and high output. The homesteads are built from bamboo and pine wood. Many bamboo varieties grow wild in the hills surrounding the valley. However, in their private groves, the apatanis grow BJ also known as apatani bamboo BJ is literally the pillar of the apatani society it's a medium sized straight stemmed the plant that stands up well to the region's foresty winters a study by RC Sundriyal and his colleagues at the GB Panth Institute of Himalayan Environment and Development shows that BJ grown in the private groves provides for 90% of the apatani's bamboo demands. An absolutely new apatani's house requires 2500 to 3000 bamboo culms and people in the valley require 391400 bamboo culms for construction purposes every year. The analysis also reckons that 472204 bamboo culms are used for fencing every year while 112681 culms are used for making different products in rural settlements in the apatani valley 
These numbers initially appear staggering, especially because the valley's population is just 40,000. But the community has never needed to buy any of these resources from the market. The country fares badly in comparison importing wood in millions of tons. A lot can be learned from them. Energy Efficient Ecosystem Apatanis grow more than six varieties of rice. The rice fields are meticulously terraced land irrigated by canals that draw water from streams in the valley. Water levels are controlled in plots with gradients as tiny as a few centimeters via bamboo tubes. Irrigating the flatter plain land is more arduous. Each drop of water has to be pulled as far as possible over an ever-decreasing gradient through manually dug canals with bamboo scaffoldings. The canal walls are held together by plant varieties such as Eleusin coracana which bind the soil and also provide end-season leafy vegetables. Every inch of the canal bund is used intensively. This demands maintenance. People get down to it right after the rice is harvested. The community collectively maintains canals till the feeder points. Individuals tend them near their fields. The intensively used soil needs extra nutrients and the Apatani has it all worked out almost magically. Huge volumes of biomass from the mixed oak forest on mountain tops are the source of nutrients at one end. At the other houses with piggeries supply recycled waste. The two create a graded system of soil fertility with nutrient-rich plots closer to the village and nutrient-poor ones consigned to the middle of the fields. Apatanis also turn their agricultural fields into fish ponds. Fish culture usually that of the common carpin plots closer in the village synchronizes. Well with the late ripening rice variety, the ponds are managed as meticulously as the irrigation canals. It is a tricky business too. Much water is a plot and the standing crop would be destroyed. Too little and the fish won't survive. The balance is crucial. The fish seeds are introduced when the water is rich in nutrients. Also the fish must share nutrients in the water with the paddy. So fish seedling numbers have to be carefully calculated. The energy efficiency of the Apatani agro ecosystem is 60 to 80 joules per joule of input. Green revolution agriculture fares dismally in comparison. It gives less than a joule for every joule of input. The valley's energy input output ratio is also considerably higher than that of other traditional mountain systems in the region. Change is here. Today, many aspects of Apatani's life are showing signs of transformation. Some Apatani-educated youngsters are migrating out to Itanagar, the capital of Arunachal Pradesh, and even further in pursuit of jobs. The fields and grooves are left unattended, making it the biggest challenge before the Apatani society. The bamboo hay roofs are giving way to fire-resistant tin roofs. Horticulture is preferred more, but forests need to be cleared for horticulture resulting in the decrease of the runoff from the mountains, increase in erosion and reduction in the 
nutrient flow to the fields affecting agriculture. An urban nightmare. Our cities are polluted and congested, and the authorities seem unable to cope. Will they become healthy abodes again? India has been witnessing an explosive urbanization, and today, urban area regions meant only for us Homo sapiens. Indian cities are in a rut. Urban population explosion needs of modern comfort and our aspirational pressure pressure have turned them into unmanageable monsters. The government's development policies are largely governed by the dictum that India lives in its villages. Rapid urbanization is a typical developing nation syndrome and India is no exception. A glance at census 2011 shows that almost a third of the country's population resides in its cities. According to the World Urbanization Prospects report released by the United Nations in 2014, the share of urban population in India was 32%, which was way behind China's 54%. As against developed countries which urbanized at a gradual pace, developing countries and urbanizing faster. The urban ecology largely focuses on improving conditions of people living together with scant attention to the damages being done to the environment. The cities are in a perpetual state of developmental chaos, laying of cables, drainage lines, roads, additional lanes, flyovers, demolition of good habitable houses to construct malls, business centers or multi-story apartments are the infrastructural banks cities have to bear today's urban environment is not a natural environment it is an artificial environment created by humans the high density of population and rapid industrialization have polluted the urban environment to a great extent the polluted water around us and the air that we inhale tell us how ill equipped we are when it comes to managing our resources how does air get polluted air pollution in urban areas is the result of a complex mix of anthropogenic emissions from vehicles industries waste burning and crop burning and natural sources like road dust primary air pollutants like soot lead asbestos oxides of carbon and nitrogen sulfur dioxide methane benzene and are released directly from a source like our cars into the air while secondary air pollutants are ozone and sulfur trioxide according to the world health organization air pollution is the fifth largest killer in india among the world's 20 most polluted cities in the world 13 are in india india is the group of countries that have the highest particulate matter levels its cities have the highest levels of particulate matter 10 and particulate matter 2.5 particles with diameters of 10 and 2.5 microns and a high concentration of carcinogenic substances such as so2 and nitrogen dioxide this puts the urban people at the additional risk of respiratory diseases and other health problems states experiencing high premature 
मॉर्टैलिटीज और महाराष्ट्र डेली वेस्ट बंगाल बिहार आंध्र प्रदेश तमिलनाडु गुजरात कर्नाटक मध्य प्रदेश ओडिशा एंड राजस्थान वहीकल्स पल्यूट एयर थ्रू आउट देयर लाइफ विथ मोर वहीकल्स बींग एडेड टू द रोड द पल्यूटेंट्स इन द एयर आर एक्सपोनशियली इंक्रीजिंग अकॉर्डिंग टू द मिनिस्ट्री ऑफ रोड ट्रांसपोर्ट एंड हाईवेज ए टोटल ऑफ वन एटी टू पॉइंट फोर फाइव मिलियन वहीकल्स वर रजिस्टर्ड इन इंडिया इन ट्वेंटी थर्टीन अकॉर्डिंग टू ए स्टडी बाय द सेंटर फॉर साइंस एंड एनवायरमेंट इन जून ट्वेंटी सिक्सटीन डेली अलोन हैज मोर दैन एट पॉइंट नाइन मिलियन रजिस्टर्ड वहीकल्स अनदर फाइव लैख सेवेंटी थाउजेंड National capital every day. Moreover, around 23% of the cars registered in Delhi use diesel as fuel. Diesel cars emit 7.5 times more particulate matter than the petrol versions and produce more toxic NO2. Besides, our cities are expanding and are in the thick of construction activities. Dust deposits at the construction sites have taken a lot. and a toll on the air quality silica is the most harmful pollutant released during construction activities it escapes human bodies filter mechanism and reduces lung capacity making people vulnerable to all kinds of infections unpaved roads and the non green sh- shoulders of roads also add to the burden of dust emissions in november 2016 when delhi and the national capital region were in the grip of heavy smog the national green tribunal banned all construction work in delhi and ncr for a week time air pollution rears its head at the onset of winter when heavy fog envelops cities reducing visibility and causing physical discomfort in a polluted city like delhi fog becomes smog a deadly mix of pollutants while firecrackers during diwali and burning of crops in neighboring areas worsen the quality of air that is already polluted meteorological conditions make the air thick and stagnant thereby trapping the pollution close to the ground in the northern part of the country during the agricultural clearing clearing season late october and november burning of agricultural biomass residue is widely practiced to remove the paddy stock and prepare the field for wheat cultivation punjab alone burns 18 million tons of paddy straw during this period and continues 12 to 60% of the particulate matter concentration start chokes delhi polluted rivers and vanishing wetlands water pollution is fast emerging as another critical issue in india according to the central pollution control board the discharge of untreated sewage in the single most important source of water pollution in india today urban india is soaking up water polluting rivers and drowning in its own excreta the sewage invariably goes into streams ponds lakes and rivers polluting the water system and polluting at risk the health of people to whom this water is supplied India generates a massive 38000 million liters of sewage every day. The government has the capacity to treat only 12000 million tons or less than 1 in 1/3 of the musk. The 35 metropolitan cities of the country produce 
644 million liters of sewage daily and most of our rivers today carry this load of excreta and industrial effluents we are slowly killing our rivers in the hills we dam them drawing water for electricity chennai floods unplanned urbanization can lead to catastrophic disasters bringing to for the constant tussle between nature and human encroachments on december 1 2015 houses on the ground floor in jafer khan pet a neighborhood in southern chennai started to inundate because of torrential rains gradually engulfing 80% of the city under 4 meters of water The situation continued for the next 72 hours killing over 500 and destroying infrastructure worth rupees 500 crore. On December 1, Chennai received 300 mm rainfall making it the wettest December day ever recorded in the city. The normal rainfall for Chennai in December is 191 mm. The India Meteorological Department IMD in mid October issued a forecast that predicted 11 to 12% above rain normal rains in the southern state with a probability about 90%. Enough reasons for disaster. A 2014 analysis by the Indian Institute of Science Bengaluru shows that the rate of urbanization in Chennai has increased by 20 times in the past 4 decades. and the city has expanded at the cost of destroying the city's natural flood sinks such as marshlands and river channels the concrete jungles obstruct and encroach upon the natural flow of water bodies and create pockets that trap water which increases the flood intensity concerned citizens group have moved court several times to save the wetlands In December 2015 the Madras High Court ordered all the authorities concerned to remove encroachments from the marsh of Palikarani Lake laws such as the Tamil Nadu Protection of Tanks and Eviction of Encroachment Act 2007 have not been able to save the wetlands in the city say experts the existing rules and regulations are not strong enough to protect the urban lakes this is the reason the three rivers in Chennai the kuam adyar and kosatha layar har highly encroached upon the city has four sewage treatment plants but the treated water that flows through natural channels often gets mixed with untreated waste water from colonies and industries on the way the sewage generated by the people gets mixed with the water runoff and clogs the natural channels and storm water drains even the city's numerous water bodies and marshlands that should have acted as sponges are either encroached upon or over polluted the management of untreated sewage and solid waste should be done on a war footing to avoid choking of drains strong regulations should be implemented to stop encroachments of the wetlands and the water channels Urban floods can happen due to unplanned urbanization as it hardly leaves space for natural flow of water. Encroachment of wetlands and other small water bodies does not let water to get absorbed resulting in flood. Improper sewage treatment results in the clogging of storm water drains which lose their capacity to carry extra load of water.